We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame two one six four. If Notre Dame wins a championship or two, do you guys do you guys think the recruiting ranking shenanigans will stop for kids coming to Notre Dame, or is it just something we have to accept? Uh, probably will change because then being pro Notre Dame becomes more advantageous for you. Um, you know, it's it's it. That's really what it comes down to. I don't I don't think it's this deep hatred for Notre Dame. With all of them, some of them have that. I, I I know a couple guys that just have a deep hatred for Notre Dame, uh, more so Notre Dame fans than Notre Dame per se, I should say. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, the hot teams that'll always be the case. But look, I don't think they ever did that with Clemson. I don't think Clemson's players get necessarily overhyped because they're going to Clemson. If it, that's why Clemson consistently doesn't recruit in the top five. And I've said this from the 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 rosters that made up Clemson's two title teams. I don't think they had a single top five recruiting class in it. And, and, you know, so they, those guys didn't get hyped just because they went to Clemson. So I, I don't, I, I think it's more of a Southern thing more than anything else. And, um, you know, and, and those fan bases are from a volume standpoint. Look, here's something Notre Dame fans have to understand. This fan base is not as big as Ohio State's fan base for, for multiple reasons. It's not a state school, right? Where mm-hmm. states grows up loving it. It's a smaller right. state than like Ohio, for example. You know, or Texas, it's a very wealthy fan base. It's a very loyal fan base, but just yes. sure numbers, it's just not as big, right? Like, so for example, uh, Ohio State f- sells out, comes close to selling out their stadium for spring games. Notre Dame is lucky to get half the people in their stadium. Why? Well, because a huge chunk of Ohio State's fan base is right there in the state. Notre Dame's is more spread out across the country. So uh, that's that's a big part of it as well, but yeah, it's just it's just a different animal, and it's about volume and clicks, and and that's just really what it boils down to. But I would say if that happens, what happens is that they either have to start doing Notre Dame's guys properly, or they become less and less relevant. And then it's, it's locked into relationships, right, B? Mm-hmm. In what regard? You know, because certain companies, certain companies are connected to certain uh, media outlets. Sure. That have certain contracts with certain conferences. And you mm-hmm. expect 
the schools that they represent in that region or in that conference to be rated a little bit higher in that aspect. So I don't want to get too specific, but there's one in particular that I it's in my mind that I know for sure they're going to have SEC players or kids committed to SEC schools ranked a little bit higher. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'll be specific with it. <laughs> You're talking about ESPN, right? Well, I mean, and the, the numbers are easy to forget. I mean, I, I said yeah. this to you the other day, Sean, if you look at the number of players in their ESPN 300 every year mm-hmm. from Florida, Georgia, and Texas, and you compare that to the number of players from those states that actually get drafted, it's significantly higher for ESPN than what gets drafted. Mm-hmm. And it's even more of a, of a difference when you look at the all pros. There's far more of those guys ranked that high than become all pros in the National Football League. Yeah, which just just further evidence that there's just a, there's an overranking of that area. And I've said this before; you'll see it all the time. Kids commit to a certain SEC schools, and all of a sudden their rankings shoot up. Shoot up. Sometimes it's justified. You're like, well, you should have had him there before, and other times it's not. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Got a question from Scott L. here, Sean. Is there any indication that Marcus Freeman has been making positive changes to ameliorate any of the program's off-the-field issues? Examples might include adding more analysts, better nutrition, et cetera. Yeah, he's fighting that fight, but, you know, Brian Kelly fought that fight for 12 years as well and and didn't always get what he wants. I mean, look, he's going to fight that fight, and over time, he's going to have to to get a lot. But right now, when it comes to that stuff, he doesn't have a lot of leverage, in my opinion, because they went 9-4. and That's just the reality of it. And I would say if they have a big year this year, because Notre Dame donors, from what I've been able to gather, love Marcus Freeman. And if Marcus Freeman goes out there and and, and can take this team, let's say a playoff game, and they have some big wins, and and heck, they let's say they make the championship game and lose by a field goal. I mean, he's going to basically be able to write whatever check, whatever check he wants yeah. to get that stuff. And if they win a championship, it'll be a lot different now than it was when Lou Holtz was, was coaching where – 
you know, it, it didn't matter what he did. They weren't going to support him the way they needed to. It's a different yeah. animal now. It's a much different animal now. So uh, he's fighting the fight. It's just, it's, it's a slow build. It's a slow process. It's going to require some more winning to make happen. Man, shout out to Scott on the uses of ameliorate. I know, right? Seriously. Man. Seriously. Uh, Mike Reddy with a question here, Sean. Uh, it's for, uh, say here, we'll kind of have you answer this one. Thank you. And the question is, uh, who is, one, for me, and I'll let you answer. We'll both answer both of you, Sean. From Mike Reddy, who is the one Notre Dame recruit who had superstar potential but was ruined by a coach in the last 10 years? What well, I have a couple different ways I want to go with that one. Um, I mean, you could easily say Jalen Smith, but he was a still superstar. But Jalen Smith should have been a, a superstar that put up numbers that, like we haven't seen from a linebacker. He never had 10 tackles for loss, but he was still a would have been a first round pick and was still Buckus Award winner and you know unanimous yeah. All American and all that. So it's hard for me not to say he wasn't a superstar. Um, you know, so I look through, I'm trying to think of of some different guys that I thought could have been in the last 10 years. See, some of it's some of it's let's say ruined by a coach like Javon McKinley to me was part coaching, but also part his own decision making when he was young. Yeah. And he also had a, a leg injury that caused him to lose a little bit. Of, I mean, it just it was a combination of things, um, you know. So yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting one, Sean. I, I would say, I think Niles Morgan was held back. Yeah, I don't know if he, he could have been a superstar, but he, he was been definitely bigger. held back. He should have been better. He should have been better and should have yeah. popped sooner. Yeah, at Notre Dame, I think. I think, dude, without Drew Tranquil would have been a superstar if he doesn't get injured. Now, it has nothing to do yeah. with the coaches. Yeah. If he doesn't have any injuries, good his last two years, even with the two knee injuries. With, with the two knees. If he yeah. didn't get injured, just the way he was playing early on as a freshman, yeah. he was making plays, like getting in in spots in certain formations and, and alignments. It, yeah. That, I would say injury more than coaching. Right. For me, I mean, I, I could say, and this is based upon what I've been told, Notre Dame has been devoid of a superstar at the quarterback position, but most people will tell you personal reasons and coaching reasons that Everett Golson should have been sure. a superstar quarterback at Notre Dame. Yeah, if Everett didn't put himself in the position he did with the cheating thing, then I would be willing to say that. I, I think you could also, again, I, I know that some people are going to agree with this, but if you're going to talk about quarterback, Ev's one, but I would say that uh, Deshaun, I, there's two other quarterbacks that I'm going to put in this category. One's Deshaun Kaiser because his coaches weren't bold enough to say, hey, man, what you're doing is not okay. Mm -hmm. If you want to be our quarterback, you need to conduct yourself this way. Mm-hmm. And they allowed him to do the things he did that caused him to think he could get away with certain things that he couldn't get away with. I thought Sean could have, Deshaun could have been really, really good. And then yeah. the other one's Phil Dracovic. I'll stand by that one. That's just one of those ones that's never going to change for me. That's a good one. You know? So, that's a good um, one. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say he was ruined, but Chase Claypool should have been a lot better if he had better coaching. Like, he, he could have <laughs> been a lot better with better coaching. Yeah. He had that last good year 
but he should have been better from day one, in my opinion, with better coaching and a little bit more of a kick in the pants. And in, in my view, that that's another one that I'd look at. And I I don't know superstar, but I really thought, and I've, I've said we've said this in conversation, or I've meant I mentioned in the conversation early on. You give me early Cole Luke at Notre Dame. Yes, and I don't know what transpired. Is Brian Cole Luke, to me, just destroyed his confidence? That's dude, what happened. Cole Luke freshman year fourteen. His sophomore year was one of the best individual seasons the Notre Dame cornerbacks had in the last 30 years. Yes. He was brilliant. Because remember, that was the year that Kavari got suspended. Mm -hmm. And they had Cody Riggs transferred in, and Cole Luke took over. Because Cole played a little bit as a freshman, was a a nice reserve guy. Mm -hmm. But he was spectacular, spectacular in 2014. And, you know, four interceptions, 11 pass breakups, good tackler. He was really good. And then he just slowly went downhill. Yeah. And a lot of it was about confidence and having a coach that didn't know how to put him in position to be successful in regard to Brian Van Gorder. So you you could you could point to a lot of guys like that. Cole Luke's a good one, Sean. That's a really good one. Yeah. Because that's one that is – like some of these are like not coaching related. Like some of them it's like, you know, like you talk about Drew Tranquil and, you know, Javon McKinley. I can't blame the Notre Dame coaches for all of what – why Javon McKinley didn't pan out. And some of that's on him. You know, like I don't blame the coaches for why Jerry Tillery never was as good as he should have been. Same with Jerron Jones, right? I don't I don't necessarily blame the coaches for that one per se. So yeah. Yeah. So those are the ones that I have on my list, Sean. David Lowe with a with a question here. David says, if if Marcus Freeman loses more coaches this year, do you think his leash will be longer since he's had so much turnover on staff in his first year? Number one, I don't care if Marcus Freeman loses every coach on the staff. The, your job is to replace them with guys who can get the job done and you go out and win. Like, uh, that's my expectation, right? And you lose good coaches, you replace them with – I mean, we just had a show yesterday where we said – you know, even with the per- the coaching losses, you're you're including a legendary offensive line coach that so we think the Notre Dame offensive situation is better right now than it was a year ago. To so go out and get it done, right? And that's, I mean, look, I, I like chances. I think Chance Tuck has done a great job this past year with Notre Dame, Sean. But if he leaves, there's other really good receiver coaches out there. Go get one. That's the thing. Is like there's not just one guy that can coach these positions, right? Like, and honestly, I would say that a couple of the positions that that we're hearing, well, at least one of the positions we're hearing about. You know, potentially there being, you know, Chris O'Leary being a guy that supposedly interviewed in the NFL. I, I like Chris O'Leary. He's a solid, he's a pretty, I mean, he's a good safeties coach. Not much. That's a position you got to be able to upgrade over. I'm sorry. You got to be able to upgrade over that. You know, Brian Mason, if you lose him, that's a big loss, but there's other guys out there that you can, can, can hire. Uh, if, if you lose Chancey Stuckey, that's a loss in individually, but it, it go upgrade. You know, I mean, that's that's what you do. And so uh, that's what he'd be tasked with. And the talent's going to be there. And whoever – and this is the other thing, too, is when you lose good coaches, let's just say hypothetically Chancey Stucky leaves for argument's sake, Sean. It's the same thing we're talked about with Harry Heastan. The guy that's replacing him is walking into a much better situation because of him, where the kids were coached better last year and they're bringing in an outstanding receiver class this year. So if he leaves, it sucks, but go. Repl- it's Marcus Freeman's job is to go replace him with somebody that's just as good or better, and that's what he's got to do. And so, no, I, I just 
I'm just not someone who who is into the excuse making. I'm tired of the excuse making in Notre Dame. Tired of it. And hey, Jack Swarbrick, if you don't want to lose coaches, then do me a favor and pay guys better. Take care of your program. Make your program more of a priority with more than just words, right? Do it with actions. And um, you know, like look, if Dylan McCullough were to leave, all right, cool. But then go replace him with another great running backs coach. That that that's what you do. And it's up to Jack Swarbrick to say, hey, I promise you money will not be an issue. He can sit and not just give lip service to it, Sean, but actually mean that to where if Marcus Freeman's got to go cut a million-dollar check to get a running backs coach, then you go cut a million-dollar check to get a running backs coach. Stop with, well, a running backs coach shouldn't make this. Why? Go talk to your donors. I promise you if you get the right guy that they'll put pony up the money to make that happen. I promise you that. Hey, you need to get this guy to be your new D coordinator, so you need your donors to buy, to pay a buyout or – whatever else, or you need them to pay an amount to get a receivers coach here and whatever, fine. Then, 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 then go get that guy Yeah, and, and do what you need to do. So uh, I just, um, yeah, I'm just not, I'm not into the excuses. I'm, I'm just, I'm just not, I'm just not. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Sean. For me, that is a rich man's problem. Mm-hmm. Losing coaches. You're doing something right if you're losing coaches the majority of the time. You know, unless you know that you are the tier two, tier three program that big time programs come after to get coaches when they lose their coaches to the NFL or other programs. So it's something that Marcus Freeman should have expected as the head coach in Notre Dame. And and I can assure you, he has a list of guys he turns to in every position. If he loses a coach, I can, yeah. I can assure you of that. Yeah. That he has that. He will not be like, Oh my God, what do I do now? I can promise you that. Yeah. It's exactly what he did with the OC hire. It's exactly what he did with the O line hire. It's exactly what he did at quarterback. He knew exactly who his phone calls were going to and where he wanted to go with those. And it was the same thing will be true with these other positions. Now it's about, okay, do you have the money to pay him to get him here? That's yeah. the bigger question mark. Yeah. That's the bigger question mark. Uh, here's a super chat here, Sean, from Steve Rolf. Thank you, Steve. Would you say that Rudolph, Joe Rudolph, is closer to Harry Heastand or Jeff Quinn? What are your expectations? Notre Dame won a lot of games with Quinn. Not saying Quinn did a good job. He is significantly closer to Harry Heastand than he was Jeff Quinn. And and Notre Dame won games in spite of Jeff Quinn and not because of Jeff Quinn. And 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 that's disrespectful to say, but it's also true. I don't mean it to be disrespectful, but it's just true. Yeah. Notre Dame won in spite of coaching at times in the last several years, especially on the offensive line. Yeah. So, yes, Joe Rudolph, it's not me. And this is what I've said from the beginning, even when I was saying I wasn't super high on Joe Rudolph, it was compared to Harry Heastan. It's always have said it's a significant upgrade over what they had before. Yeah. And as I learn more and more about Joe Rudolph and I become higher and higher on Joe Rudolph, the gap widens even greater. So uh, it, that's not even close, Sean. That's an easy. That's an easy one. And my expectations are, go do it. Go build a Joe Moore Award-winning caliber offensive line. Absolutely. That's, that's what I expect, and one that can play consistently good football. That's it. I mean, it, Sean, you and I said this the other day, man. I don't care if coaches leave. The expectations don't change. It's Notre Dame, man. <laughs> the expectations don't change. Nor should they. Uh, this yeah. isn't Brian Kelly's tenure. We don't accept mediocrity anymore. We don't no. say, hey, 10-2 is good enough because it could have been worse. It could have been worse under if this coach or that coach. I'm, I'm tired of that. This is Notre Dame, and your expectation is going to be go out and win. Yeah. Go out and win. And, you know, 
I think did Lou Holtz fire or lose his defensive coordinator off the 1987 team, Sean? It was, he lost him, right? Then then the, the, that coach left, correct? Yeah. Wasn't it Foge? Wasn't it Foge? Wasn't he the yeah. defensive coordinator on that team? Yep. Right. And so, you know, he leaves, he leaves Notre Dame to go to the Atlanta Falcons. And he goes out and hires this guy named Barry Alvarez that had never called a defense in college before, was just a linebacker's coach, you know. And and uh, what does he go out there and do? He goes out there and, and is coordinate the defense that helped them win a national championship in, in, in large part because of the defense. I mean, he was the linebacker's yeah. coach the year before. Yeah. Right? And and so you lose Mike Elko, who I thought did a phenomenal job in 2017 turning that defense around, and you replace him with Clark Lee, and he keeps it rolling. I mean, that's what good teams do. That's my expectation for Coach for Coach uh, Freeman is to bring guys that are going to do that, and he believes that he's landed guys that are going to do that. And I promise you, he'll be shooting for the moon if those other coaches leave as well. And that's just, I mean, that's like you said, Sean. If you're doing if you're doing things right, you're not bringing ten coaches back. You know why Notre Dame didn't lose any coaches from their 2015 team? Because there weren't a lot of teams that wanted those coaches. Yeah, facts. Amazing. Nobody's beating down Brian Van Gorder's door to get him to come coach for no. them. So, um, I mean, now there were some mention, guys that were good coaches. I, I'm, I'm being a bit hyperbolic. Like Harry yeah. Eastman was on that staff, and Mike Denbrock's a good coach. But the, the point is, there weren't a lot of coaches that teams were trying to beat down their door to bring in. Yeah. Is I, I want to make sure I'm. I was, I was being hyperbolic by none of them were good coaches. I mean, no, that staff had some staff. real. I mean, uh, yes. Michael, I mean, Lafleur was on that, that staff. Right. He, no, he was know? on the 14 staff. 14 staff. Yeah. I mean, he got replaced by Mike during his time. He had some really good coaches or GAs come through. Yeah. At Notre Dame, when Brian Kelly was the head coach, um, and you look, Barry Alvarez left in '89. Yeah, after winning the national championship to become the head coach at University of Wisconsin, and Lou had to go get Rick. What was it, Rick Mentor, that yeah. replaced Barry Alvarez? So that's if, dude, if you're going to be a big time head coach, you have to have, like you said, a list of guys stacked. Like if this guy goes, this is my next move. Right. Just par for the course. Right. Next question. We had another super chat down here, Sean, from Charlie Weiss's last belt loop. Thank you, Charlie. If Mason O'Leary Stuckey leave, do you think Freeman might have to bring in whatever coaches he can get at this point in the offseason, despite if they are needle movers at recruiting? Thanks, Ivy. Why would he have to do that? I don't understand why he would have to do that. So, okay, well, those coaches are em- employed by other people. Well, so are Notre Dame's coaches. Like, I don't understand why. Like, that's a defeatist attitude, Charlie. And I understand why some Notre Dame fans feel that way. Number one, they had to live through the Brian Kelly era for 12 years. Yeah. And then before that, it was even worse with Charlie and Ty and Davey. I, I get all that. And yeah. and you, you and it's been a, a chaotic offseason. But <laughs> no, he, he, yeah. he might not. He shouldn't have to bring in guys, just whoever. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, no, that's not. No, go out and get good coaches. It's, it's March. There's plenty of good coaches out there. Go yeah. get them. Yeah. So no, you shouldn't have to. He shouldn't have to do that. No, shouldn't. So, yeah, Sean, anything to add to that? No, you hit the nail right on the head. I think yeah. it's Notre Dame. Yeah, it's it's Notre Dame. You'll be able to go pull coaches from other programs. This is a bigger opportunity. It's a better opportunity, and they want to advance in their careers. So, you know, I think people are kind of starting to feel the residue of certain things that have happened recently. You know, I think the question was that you and I that asked that question on one show has 
the coaching positions at Notre Dame become less attractive. Yes, that was us. Yeah. 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 Right now, I think they're becoming more attractive because that's why people want to come here because you come to Notre Dame, mm-hmm. other people are going to covet you. So uh, it, it's about, do you look at something from the, from a neg, uh, intentionally from a negative standpoint? I think that's really where this conversation comes from for me, Sean, is there's two ways to look at things and, and sometimes more, there's always at least two ways. To look. So coach leaves. Okay. Boy, this is a, this sucks. You know, they lost their offensive coordinator. Yeah. You know, why, why would you, know, okay. But the other way to look at it is Alabama took one of Notre Dame's offensive coordinator. That makes Notre Dame's offensive coordinator position a coveted one because of the potential to, it to go somewhere else. Yeah. Right. And, and that's, that's now, again, that doesn't mean it's not a loss. If you lose a coach, it's a loss. If you lose Chancey Stucky, but it's yeah. only a loss until you replace them with somebody else of equal or higher value. So let's just say hypothetically Dylan McCullough leaves. That's a loss, right? Sean, you and I both agree. He did a great job coaching last year, yep. but if you replace him with like Tony Alford, it's not a loss anymore. No. Right. And so yeah, that's the, that's the way you got to look at it is I, I just don't think he has to settle for that. I, I just, I, I, I guess, I, Sean, I, and I just don't want to live in that world where I have to yeah. accept defeat yeah. just because, right? Like, that's just not how you win. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want to start this business, man. It's just, it's just too hard. And COVID hits. I don't think I should keep doing this, man. It's just, it's too hard. I should just go get a, just go work at UPS and just, no, you battle, you keep, you keep fighting, you keep scrapping because you have something you believe in and you want greatness. Right. And that's what that, that's why Marcus Freeman became the head coach at Notre Dame at like 35 years old because he doesn't just take, Oh, okay. Well, you know, we're can't do this. Cause we're at Cincinnati. Can't right. that guy. Cause we're at Cincinnati. No, you go out and you okay. I can't recruit the five stars. So let me go freaking find sauce gardeners right. and go evaluate and develop and find recruit and develop those kids. And, and that's the mentality that Marcus Freeman had, which is why he's here. So, um, I'm, I, I, the only person who's mad attitude about this really matters is Marcus Freeman's. And, and the good news is Sean is I don't think he looks at it that way. Yeah. He's going to look at it like, Hey, I lost this guy. Let me go. Let me go upgrade. Let me go try and upgrade. That's, that's where I think he's at, Sean. All right. We got one question for you from TJ Stalika. Sean, what's the latest on our favorite Chicago player for 2024 from Chicago for clarity? Of course, he's talking about Justin Scott. Oh, I'm man, my mom was all over the NFL draft and everything else. <laughs> yep. I don't know. I'll tell you. I, oh no, I talked to him Wednesday. Because you I were in this game, right? Yeah, and I'm going tonight to check him out. Hopefully the snow will slow down a little bit and get not be too hectic, but I'll talk to him tonight. I mean, he's really not thinking football right now. Mm-hmm. He was kind of reflective. You know, in our conversation, I was like, Do you realize that this is like your last chance? to go downstate, and he didn't realize that. Oh, for basketball? He, yeah. Yeah, because he'll, he'll be in college next year. Yeah, and he was like, yo, I didn't even think about that. So they're two games away from, from being in the Final Four and going downstate for basketball. I, I, I told people all year long, like, they have a really good shot. I think they're going to win tonight. They actually face Fenwick, which is their Catholic League rival, who sports 2025 – Notre Dame target Nate Marshall, yeah. the defensive end. He plays basketball as well, so he'll be going up against Justin Scott tonight in the paint. So that'll be interesting to watch them battle because they play both play defense, so they don't face each other 
Well, yeah, because Justin Scott played offensive tackle, so they did face each other last year. But, no, he's he's focused on basketball. And I've been saying that. He honestly is focused on basketball, and nothing's changed. I, I kind of laughed and scoffed at recent news about him in Georgia, you know, because I have, like, messages from a year ago in January where he was literally waiting for Notre Dame to offer yeah. him. Like, man, that's the one offer I'm waiting for, you know. And you saw how he responded when they made the push with Marcus Freeman showing up to his school in January. You saw how he reacted to it. So all of this late news about him and Georgia and all of that stuff, you know, propaganda. Yeah. From certain, in my opinion, propaganda from certain sources that are connected to certain schools, in my yeah. opinion. So, Nate Marshall's a guy. Time, you got, go ahead, no, Go ahead. Oh, no. I've talked to him several times, like openly about like programs everywhere. Like, this young man has talked about Alabama, Colorado, USC. That he never mentioned Georgia. Never. Never mentioned Georgia. Well, apparently, it's his Georgia dream came, school, from what I was told the other day. Right. But he never mentioned them. Right. Never, never brought them up. In a year full of conversations, never mentioned Georgia. Talked to Alabama, talked to other T- SEC schools, but never mentioned Georgia. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, he has family down there. I have family in Atlanta. It, 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 throw a rock and hit somebody in Chicago on the south side or the west side. They have family in Atlanta. It's like, <laughs> like, okay, look, he's a Midwest kid. He's going to stay in the Midwest. And I'm I'm firm on that. So I would be more worried about Ohio State than I would be Georgia or Michigan. Those are the two schools I would worry about rather than Georgia. Charlie Weiss's last belt loop has a super chat. Thank you, Charlie. I'm not saying settle, but I'm just asking because it seems Jack isn't really that excited about paying assistance, especially with big buyouts. Thank you. But it kind of sounds like you're saying settle because you're already saying, well, you can't go get this certain guy. Chancey didn't have a big buyout last year got him jared parker uh, you know i mean so it's like we we have to we can sit there and say well i hated how the whole oc thing happened mm-hmm. and 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 say that the way jack swarbrick and ron paul has handled that was uh, disgusting and and incompetent and also admit that most buyouts aren't like that right like they've had as far as i know in the last few years they've, they've had two issues with buyouts and yeah, so so when Jack Swarbrick says we've never had an issue with buyouts, he's not being honest because they have. And and so, but it's also two, not every single dude. And so we, we need to not take something that happens and turn it into an even bigger thing than it actually is, number one. Number two, not every guy that can do a great job at a, as a, at a position is someone who is going to take a big buyout. We didn't mm-hmm. know what Chancey Stuckey was going to be last year. We were all bummed that they didn't hire Jamarcus Shepard, who is who I wanted to be that the guy to take that job because he was a proven commodity. Well, Sean, Chancey was the guy. Did pretty <laughs> flipping good. Now NFL teams want him. Yeah, I think so. Right? And so, you know, who who was jumping for joy when Jared Parker got hired last year? Did a pretty flipping good job this year, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, there's just there's just all these things where look, how many Notre Dame fans when they hired Brian Mason were like, "Yo, this is a game changer," right? Yeah, they weren't. 
right? Yeah. And so just chill. Let the process play out and realize that there's a lot of good coaches out there. Some are expensive and you can't get. That's yeah. always true. That's true for Georgia. They're so like, well, okay, yeah, I could pay that money for that guy, but I think this cat over here that I could get from Middle Tennessee is just as good of a coach. He's just younger and hasn't gotten that opportunity yet. I'm going to go pay him a third of what I'm going to pay this guy, and he could do just as good of a job. A name isn't always the best choice. You know, and and so sometimes it's like, hey, this cat over here can coach, Sean. Yeah. He may not have a rep, but this cat can flat out coach. And when you get hired at Notre Dame, your rep automatically builds flat out. You know, like Jared Parker's recruiting studs right now that had no clue who he was when he was at West Virginia. None. And know who he is now, right? Because he's got the interlocking ND on his chest. Yeah. And and so that's a, a big part of it. Hey, Frank McCatry has a, a, an interesting comment because so Frank is an S, is an LSU fan, and, and he listens to our show. And we appreciate it, Frank. You you, you had a great contribution, but he, he he a little perspective for today, Sean. Mm-hmm. Podcast about coaching staff is a good problem. Sex, drugs, street racing, or gun violence—that's a headache. And he's referring to things that are that are going on with SEC schools right now. Yeah, in different areas, yeah, not just SEC schools. You know, I mean, yeah. I said, we talked about this on the phone, like the, and I don't, you know, maybe people don't, don't understand because I had to sit down and have conversations to really understand, you know, when, when these young men come from the places they grew up and they go to these other cities and universe, I mean, universities, institutions in these cities, <clears throat> you know, Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have run-ins with locals and some unfortunately put themselves in positions where they feel like they have to protect themselves mm-hmm. you know and i think it would be shocking if we actually had stats in college football and basketball of how many athletes feel like they have to protect themselves and find a way to do so by certain means i think most fans would probably be shocked at the number of athletes that do so so you know yeah that the you anytime you do alcohol and and driving i don't care if you're driving five miles per hour yeah it's 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 a problem and you know you involve alcohol and and street racing that's a whole another level so my thing is sean you you do something that's stupid that only hurts you yeah you're stupid the thing is, but when you start doing things that 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 by the very nature of it are putting other people at risk, that's where I have a bit of a yeah. problem. Yeah. With it. And yeah. I mean, I don't know. Sex is I don't think sex is that's the LSU. Problem. That's that's the oh, LSU. That dude, I was about to say sex is that's college. I mean that, no, no, he's that, he's talking that, about the LSU thing. But yeah, the LSU thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's beyond just college, Sean. That's yeah, you know <laughs> that's wrong. That, <laughs> that is that is a problem. That's a that staff. Is a that's definitely a staff thing. Staff and players. Yeah, but that's a staff thing because you expect. Look, let me tell you something, man. I look. You get an attractive staffer coming on to a football player. They're not supposed to do that. The staffers no. are, are the ones that are supposed to know better. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm willing to bet that at least 50% of the football players would would probably indulge 
at the age of 18, 19, 20. But it probably wouldn't be um, a post-game celebration, I mean, a post-bowl game celebration orgy or something like that. that Which is that exactly what we're talking about, basically. Right. Yeah, it right. wouldn't be along those lines. Right. <laughs> and, and and I just think sometimes we we make too many excuses and say, well, it's just 18, 19, 20, and, uh, you know, it just – you know, they're just that, – that's a problem. But the point is, is like what we're talking about now is natural. It's stuff that happens in football, with football programs. You have yeah. coaches, they leave, and you replace them with new people. Yeah. You could be talking about a lot more uh, – a lot more problem. I'd much rather be talking about this than some of the stuff that's going on. Like, God forbid we'd had to discuss about a player passing away that we've covered and got to know and things like that. I just – you know, like when you think about when, when Lewis Nix passed away, you start thinking like, man, it's just like – he was such a great, you know, it, it hurts, man, because you get to know these kids and things like that, and then, um, and and when it's a tragic thing, it it stings, man, and that's what Georgia had to experience, and I and I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, you know, and and I'm much rather be talking about this stuff than that, that stuff, you see, know. This this is this is where you know I challenge us to have objectivity because Notre Dame is like the perfect test case, in my opinion, because they're all about their traditions. And making sure that the experience of the athlete is much more geared to being a student than isolated as an athlete, right? So you want them to operate as a student and not as an athlete, but then in certain positions, like think about the ramifications as an athlete, but your whole stick is you're a student more than you're an athlete. It's like, it's like, wait a minute, you don't want to isolate them. You want them to be like a student. And when they think like a 17, 18-year-old student in college, then you want to bring up, well, you have to think about the ramifications. You're an athlete. And you can't have it both ways. Yeah, you can. No, yeah, you, you can. can't. No, you can't. Yeah, you no, you can. can't. As a parent, I can't tell my daughter one thing and then expect her after I poured into her one thing, think this way, and then she gets into a situation and expects her to differ, think a but, different but, way. But you're, acting, like you're acting as if the student part is what they've emphasized to get them there. It's not. You're recruiting them to come no, here no, no. to be athletes. You're talking about – I'm talking about fans. I'm talking about uh -huh. fans. This is the whole stick, right? Because I'm just responding to what Elizabeth said in the chat. Like they have to think from sex. You're talking about an 18-year-old boy. Looking at yeah. a young lady that he's attracted to, and he's going to look at her and say, you know, how are you going to affect my draft status? Or, if, you know, if something happens. I don't think she's talking about draft. No. I mean, look, I'm sorry. Kids need to. These kids need to be smart about that stuff. They have to be smart about that stuff because oh. it's their futures. And, and I'm telling you, college students, there are not a lot of college students that have that much wisdom on college campuses okay fine when they think they, about they may not and i'm not disagreeing with that but it doesn't mean that it's something we should just accept no i'm no, not accepting just, that, it. that's my whole thing i said and take so, a step back and be objective and understand that the vast majority of 18 year olds that's why wait a minute that's why if we're being honest that's why rape on college campuses is as big as a problem and we ignore it as a society just do like do the research Sure. On college campuses, it's ignored, and it's a huge problem. So it's a lot of things that are world. problems that we ignore. Abs absolutely, that. absolutely. And that doesn't make it okay. No, it doesn't right? make it okay. But people will just sweep it under the rug and just act like 
Oh, no. And that's what we do with these kids. Either way, either we sweep it under the rug and say, man, you need to be more accountable and don't understand that they're kids that still need to be taught and raised and need to learn. Yeah, but she never said that they shouldn't be taught it or shouldn't be emphasized. She's stating a fact. College athletes need to be more conscious of it. I'm responding to, I would not teach or talk to an athlete in college any different than I would talk to a college student. They're college students. So if we're talking about guns, I wouldn't talk to an athlete about guns any different than I would talk to a college student going to a city about guns. I would have the same sure. conversation with them about the ills, responsibility, but somehow, some way, we expect that athletes should have more morals you're, you're, about you're, certain you're, subjects. You're conflating to me. To, you're conflating topics. I don't think you can throw every topic into the same thing, right? So when you talk about firearms, for example. I'm a big believer that every student, every young person in America should be educated on their rights regarding firearms, but also the importance of safety. And I think that's something we should absolutely spend more time on. No question about it, because we've made certain things such these taboo topics that, you know, you you can't talk about that. You know, you can't talk about it. You can't talk about this in public. You can't talk about that. You know, this is a bad thing. No, 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 no. We have a second amendment right to own and bear firearms. It is not a, this, a lot of people don't understand what the second amendment is all about. I'm a believer, Sean, you know, my stance on guns. I own several. I'm a Mm -hmm. big proponent of the second amendment, Mm -hmm. but I'm also someone who you also know is very, very focused on in my home, gun safety, knowledge, all that type of stuff. Know what the laws are. You know, I've said this before you and I've talked about this. I've said every college coach in America if you are not spending time with your players, letting them know what the gun laws are in that state that they have come to play college sports, mm-hmm. then you are delinquent in your responsibilities as a football coach because they're all 18 or older almost, and they yeah. all have the right to own firearms. Yeah. Now, you need to be smart about where they can and can't have them. You know. So, for example, if you come to Notre Dame and you're from a certain state, you have – reciprocity so mm-hmm. you know basically here in indiana you don't have to have a permit to have a concealed firearm mm-hmm. you have to purchase the firearm legally but you don't have to have a permit well what we learned with lsu with the neighbor's kid is in louisiana you do have to have a permit to carry a a, a, a concealed firearm a, what we were told is not a and a, a you don't have to, to carry conceal you can open carry and it's no problem well, I would oh, never advise that. I would never advise someone to open carry yeah. because if there is a situation, they're looking for the guy with the gun. Right. Right. To me, right. it's conceal is to me personally the way to go. So every coach should be doing that with young people, just like they should be saying when you are with a young woman, make smart decisions. If you are intoxicated and she is intoxicated, I'm holding you accountable. I'm not saying it's okay. You were drunk. I'm sorry. We should be holding these young people up to higher standard because that's the, that's the, the world I live in. I live in the coaching athletics world and I don't think there's anything wrong saying, Hey, you are different. If you don't want to be different then stop playing sports. If you don't want to be lifted up on a different pedestal and say, well, I want my fame to matter here, but not here. I want to get NIL deals that no other kids on campus are able to get. I want to get drafted and get paid my number, but I also want to still live like them. 
that's where I would say you're you're trying to have but both. See, of you're saying, on. and that's where we differ. I don't care who you are. Life mm -hmm. is life. I'm going to tell you to protect yourself, protect the young lady. If you're both, into, I'm telling right. that to a regular college student. So let me let me. So am I missing your point you here, play. Sean? Yeah. You, are you saying because I think this is where we may be disagreeing? Are you saying that you think this is something we should be talking to everyone about? Period. Okay, if you're a college gotcha. student, then we're good. Then we're that, good. That's the okay. baseline. I mean, I think when we we kind of it comes across as if it's cool for the regular college students. I got you. But, but our athletes, then we're on the same page, make, John. Yeah, it's like, no, 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 no. And that's I thought you were saying we back. should let them do whatever because we let no. everyone. No, 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 no. We're on because so you're saying like me. I don't. I I get sick of this. Well, they're just college kids. Crap. I get. I hate that. I get sick of that. So I'm saying I lift, I do hold athletes to a higher standard. Yeah. No question, because that's the world I live in. I also find it kind of disgusting that we view college now as your last four years of freedom to go out and act however you want. That's not what college was meant to be. Yeah. College, college is when you're being an adult was supposed to start. Yeah. And we've turned it into it's your last four years to act however you want and live in ways that, you know, so, so we're on the same page then. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm, I'm like full transparency. When it comes to guns, the teaching, the education, the rights, Brian and I agree. Brian has several. I have none. Right. And I've had the same conversation with my nephews, with my daughter when it comes to guns. And I've given them the right, like you, man, you want one, go get one. I've chosen not to get one. Right. But I agree with the same philosophy and ideals as Brian. So it's right. like. Well, and Sean, I didn't get mine until I was in my 40s. Yeah. I mean, and my stance on guns has never changed. The only stance that I've changed is whether or not I wanted them and wanted them in my home or not. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I mean, for me, it's not about. And that's the reason why I responded to Elizabeth's statement, because I just thought it stood out. So yeah. whereas it's really not a sex, guns, and violence. It, yo, it's a college problem. Sure. It's, it's really not an athlete, like alcohol and things that happen. It's a college campus problem. And to just right. kind of like make it bigger because it's an athlete. Right. It's like, but no, it, but it is bigger. I mean, that's just the comes, reality it too. It is bigger. bigger. Yeah. It is bigger. But in the big scheme of things, it shouldn't No young lady that has look, the Jalen Carter news isn't any bigger than what happened at Michigan state. Unfortunately. And did, which didn't involve any athletes. You talking to, about the the shooting recently? Or are you talking unfortunate, about unfortunate shooting, okay. or it's not any bigger than the young lady that disappeared here at the University of Chicago and has been missing. Like it's all unfortunate things that are a byproduct right. of it's evils. national news because he's a football player. Absolutely, right. you know, and it's it's really you know a lot of things that. I encourage people to become a part of the solution if you have any way to become a part of the solution, whether it's through mentoring or helping out someone that you know that needs help. Because these kids, it, it takes a village. These kids need people in their lives to help them through some tough situations. Now, I agree. I said this earlier in the day. I said, I, look, I don't know about anybody else, but I know my kid. Like, I could hear somebody talk one sentence about my kid and I can tell you whether they did it or not. Like, yep, that's that's my baby girl. I know one thing. I know if my baby girl was driving and her friend 
crashed, I, I have full confidence that my daughter would not leave the scene of the crime mm -hmm. before the authorities got there. Now, should she have been speeding, racing? No. But I know she wouldn't leave, the scene, leave her friend or her teammate to protect herself. That I know she wouldn't do. And for me, we started talking about the Jalen Carter incident. It's levels yeah. to things. That if he just stays there and deals with what he was part of as a man in high character and high integrity, I think people would be able to look at the situation and say, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. It's a trend. But the way you handled it, you handled it as a mature person. You faced, you were accountable, and you faced what you did, and now you're willing to deal with the consequences. I think that's the bigger problem that people are having with what took place. Not only was he part of the, of the situation that someone eventually lost their lives, but then he tried to avoid the police, misled them, lied, and almost tried to act like it didn't happen. Right. And that's supposed to be your teammate? Right. <laughs> like, I'm going to say one last thing, Sean, and we're going to get back to football. The the notion that that's not that these are things that football coaches should not be in, responsible for teaching to me shows an incredibly fundamentally flawed view of what the role of a football coach should be. If you are a college football coach, you should not just be a my only job is to win football games. There are very few people in the lives of young men and women that can have a greater impact on what kind of human beings they're going to become than their coaches. And if you don't want that responsibility. Find another freaking job. Go coach professional athletes where it's not your job. If you're going to deal with young people, if you're going to deal with student athletes in high school or college level, and you don't put value in the type of young person you're developing off the field, find another freaking job. So, yes, it is the responsibility of a coach to make sure that his players know about the laws so they don't end up in jail. So a guy does not say, well, it's not my fault. It's his parents' fault. No, he's thousands of miles away from your parents who have now turned him over to you to be a role model and a leader to them. And you're going to say, this isn't my job because I'm just here to coach football. Forget that. Find another freaking job if you don't want that responsibility. So, yes, football coaches should be saying treat women with respect. I, if a football coach is not demanding his players treat women with respect, then I don't want them. If he's not smart enough to say, hey, what is a big issue in our country? Young men getting in, getting arrested for, for illegal firearms, right? Then, yes, it's your job to make sure. Now, you can't babysit them and make sure that you've got to say, hey, this is what you're going to do. But at some point in time, they got to make their own decisions. But to say it's not my job to make them aware of the risks, the dangers, the way that I expect them and to require that they live their lives as part of this program because you represent me. And if you go out there and act a fool towards a young lady, then you make me look bad and this program look bad, and that is not okay. And, and to people to say, well, it's their job to just coach football, screw that. No, it's not. It's the job of the head coach of the Denver Broncos to just coach football. He's dealing with grown men who are professional athletes. Go coach at that level if you don't care about developing young people off the field just as much as you care about on the field. Because their their time as an athlete is going to end very soon. If you have a long NFL caliber career, you retire in your 30s in almost every instance. 
what are you going to be the rest of your life? And how much value do you put on that as a coach for having an impact on that? I would much rather have a backup kid who never played for me that turns out to be a great husband and a great father and a great contributor to society than some starting All-American who turns out to be a giant prick the rest of his life. I take no pride in that guy. No pride in that guy. I take pride in the guy that does the hard stuff. So, yes, if you don't think that's a part of your job as a coach, then find another freaking job to do or go coach professionally. And and that absolutely needs to be something that we are teaching. No no one, not a, and, and this is even true with some parents. Yeah, if you're a parent, let me ask you this, Sean. I know this was true of me when with my dad. Mm-hmm. My dad would say something to me over and over and over and over again. You have to. And then I'd come home someday and say, hey, dad, I learned this great thing from my coach today. You're like, are you serious? I've been telling you this for five years, right? <laughs> What's well, my dad? It's, you know, but so so my whole point is there are people that have ability to speak truth to young people and impact them in positive ways. And if, yeah. you, if you don't take pride in that and make that a very important part of what you do, then find something else to do. And I don't care if coaches don't think that way. They should think that way. And if you're a college administrator and your head coach doesn't think that way, fire him. There you go. Because there some things are more important than winning. There now, there are coaches that can do both. Yeah. Lou, ask any player that played at Notre Dame from 1986 to 1996, and they're going to tell you flat out we had a guy that cared about that. On and off the field. Demanded excellence of us as football players and takes just as much pride in the men we've become. So, yes. And the whole problem we have in society is that we accept too much bull crap because, well, at least he wins. I don't care. Mm-hmm. They're not babysitters. They're leaders. And leaders lead. And if you think that's just about football, then we have a fundamental disagreement on what a football coach should be. Yeah. And if you don't take pride in that, don't be a football coach. Don't be a basketball coach. Don't be a baseball coach. Go do something else where the future of young people is not in your hands. Because you're the problem at that point in time. You're the problem. And so, I yes, they are paid for that. They are paid who, for that. Who in this chat or who watching would literally turn your son or daughter over to someone that does not have their best interest in life at heart? Who? Because that coach for the next four years has, in some way, form or fashion, has to support what you're teaching, what you have taught, and what you continue to teach that young woman or that young man. You can't be teaching them one thing and then have a loose culture that tells them they can do whatever and get away with whatever. I, I said something earlier today, and I said I might be taking the Santa Claus out of college football. I said it's unfortunate, but if you don't want to hear it, cover your ears. Every major college football program has a fixer. Every last one on call. They got a fixer. We need a, we need a situation fixed, and that's unfortunate because that's the, really not the way it should be, right? That's you're not teaching life lessons. That's not real. You shouldn't be able to get into a problem and then someone else alleviates it for you, and you don't have to suffer the consequences for it. You're setting a bad precedent for that young lady or that young gentleman for the rest of their life. And it's going to come home and roost. 
years down the line when they have their own family or when they're awake. Now you don't have the fixer anymore. Now what do you do? So you're at, look, I remember all of my, dude, Coach Brown, Coach Ray. I remember my first Little League coach. So you can't tell me that coaching, if you, if you don't want to be impactful with someone, Brian, I tell you all the time about the young men. I'm just blessed to have young men that come through uh, our ministry that are being recruited by Power 5 schools and or either have gone the junior college route over the last 20 years. And I have a young gentleman that's Juco wide receiver right now, freshman. Juco wide receiver. My favorite part is when he comes to church. First of all, the fact he brings his girlfriend to church with him. Brings a big, puts a big smile on my face. And then the second thing, when she comes up to talk to me at the church, I ask her every week, how is he treating you? And she says, he's treating me like a gentleman. That's it. I care more about that than whether or not he caught two touchdowns in a game. Because I'm not mentoring him to be, he has coaches to mentor him to be a football player. I'm in his life for him to be a great young man. That's it. And football coaches are not in these young men's lives just to teach them on the field. No, shouldn't be anyway. There's they too many that be. are. There's too many that are. That's they the shouldn't problem. be. They shouldn't be. And like you said, you are, I mean, that's your first job as a head coach. Your first, you're a teacher. You're a teacher, yeah. not just of football, but as, of men, right? And if you don't have the time, as a head coach, to be able to do all of that, then you need to make sure you have a hell of a staff around you that can get information to you that you can delegate things to to make sure you're connected to your players to make sure they're growing on and off the field. Yeah. Like Larry Harry Heastand just doesn't have his offensive linemen move as a unit just so they end up being like that on the football field. Right. Oh, that's a, talk to any of his linemen, and they'll tell you that he demands that's it a all. life lesson. Absolutely, it's bigger than football field for Harry Heastand, and that's what makes him great. That's why his players love him. That's why a kid like Steve Elmer that left early gets into the political world and looks back on certain lessons he learned on the football field that he can apply in the political world. Like, that's what coaching is, man. That's what parenting is. That's what parenting is. Like, man, every parent that's watching us, Brian, my baby girl's about to be 21, man. I wish that was the finish line. I no. wish that was the finish line. It's just a new, it's a new. <laughs> it's a new challenge. Yes. It's a new challenge. And, and your just, role changes, but the end game's still the same. Absolutely. Your daughter, here's the thing, Sean. Your daughter's going to have her own kid someday. Absolutely. And And your role changes. And, and and that's but it's still meant to how can I help the people that I care about be the best people they can be? Yeah. Right. Like my yeah. wife and I's relationship is not the same now as it was 15 years ago when we got married. It's no. changed and evolved. Changed. But the goal is still should always be the same. A love, yeah. honor, cherish, defend and protect yeah. and provide for. Yeah. It just looks different now. Yeah. So anyway, I do want to get back to football. Before we do, though, there's five and a half minutes left in the in uh, ACC tournament game right now. Notre Dame is leading NC State 55 44. Uh, NC State is the back-to-back-to-back defending champions of the ACC tournament. Notre Dame has them down 11 with six and a half left, five and a half left in the fourth quarter right now. Hey, 
I just like to say that Centron kid, she's gonna be okay. She's she's gonna be she's gonna be pretty oh, good. And Olivia Miles did not play today. She didn't play today. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you've seen you've seen Sonya bring the ball up to court a lot of this she, game too. She can play. So yeah, yeah she's, she can play. She's well, pretty good. And you know the thing about her is what's unique, Sean, is she's taken she's purposely taken sort of a a um, complimentary role. For most of the season, you know, she would, and I've talked to uh, Sean Styers has talked to me about this. He's like, you mm -hmm. know, like with Dara Mabry, she would kind of take a subservient role to her and, and make mm -hmm. sure she got her shots. And then obviously you had Olivia and, and her role in it. But like ever since all the injuries kind of happened, she's had to really take the team over a little bit uh, and she's done so. Right now, she has, uh, they're up uh, 55 45 now. She's got, Sonia's got 23 points, eight rebounds, four assists right now. So, yeah. No, let if when yeah. Olivia comes back, let both of them just go. Just, yeah. just <laughs> well, hopefully that's kind of what happens. Hopefully she yeah. doesn't just immediately take that backseat role. No. Again. you know Olivia, if like Olivia's like, okay, fine, you're you're hot, I'll feed you, right. I'll keep feeding the right. beast. There's no doubt, no doubt. So anyway, let's get back to football, Sean. We still have a lot of football questions here. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So Jamie Morgan says, what limits on accepting transfers? Uh, would limits on accepting transfers be a good idea? Jamie, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. Sean and I are both proponents of, yes, there should be some sort of cap on that. Uh, mm -hmm. What that exactly is, I'd have to really put more thought into it. My first thought yeah. is kind of like, you know, 10 over a two-year span is mm -hmm. kind of my first thought. Uh, with waivers, unlimited waivers for the first year when a coach first gets hired, that first offseason before he coaches his first season, take as many as you need to get your roster to where it needs to get to. And and then, and then the next year starts the two for the 10 over two years. So then years two and three would be where you're held to 10. Mm -hmm. So the first three is just a free pass, you know, yeah. cause that's just the, to me, that needs to be part of what the first year is in my view. Yeah. So, yeah. And by the way, speaking of Sean Styers is down there, obviously he is the women's play-by-play -play coach. So he's down there and Marcus Freeman actually flew down there for the game today. You have the football players driving out to Omaha last year. Yeah, I, I love the fact that the football team is so – and they've always been this way to a degree, but they're just so more open about and out there about like supporting other sports programs. Yeah. I think that's huge. And that's one of the benefits from them not being isolated. Like, I'll, dude, that's one of the great benefits of athletes not being isolated at Notre Dame. They're really part of the culture with everyone. I yeah. would be cool with the hockey players. I'm telling you, if I went to Notre Dame, oh, yeah, me and the yeah. hockey players would have been super tight. <laughs> would have been super tight. Because those would've are some been, tough dudes. Yeah, no, would've, would've, those have been my dudes. <laughs> <laughs> They've been my dudes. No doubt. 
Craig Bolton says, hey, Brian, will you will I be, be coming to the NC State or Duke games? I'm positive that you will be at the Clemson game. I plan on being at all three. Personally, I'll be IB's representative of all three of those. As a matter of fact, John, I've already bought my tickets for the Duke and NC State and my airline travel. So the thing that I do is uh, my parents live in Virginia Beach, Virginia, which is like, you know, right down there by the south north uh, southeastern border of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So what I always do is I'll fly in a couple days early to Virginia Beach, hang out with my family for a couple of days, then drive down for those games. Because Raleigh's yeah. about about five hours or so. Uh, uh, Durham's, a, I mean, Raleigh and Durham are like right beside each other. So it's an easy drive. My dad will go with me. And, and actually what we did this year is my dad actually went with me to the North Carolina game and helped me because I don't have anybody else that can kind of go with me. So I drove down him down there and he actually was in the press box helping me out, charting plays. So it was, it was really helpful actually having him there. Uh, which is really huge, but we'll probably do that again this year. But uh, And then I haven't bought my airline tickets for the Clemson game yet, but I will, but I'll be at all three of those. So, you fly yeah. into – where are you flying to to go to Clemson? Well, not sure yet. I got to look at the prices. It'll either be Greensboro or Atlanta. It's a it's – a, last time I flew into Atlanta, it was easy to fly into Atlanta. And just I got a hotel wow. like right outside of Atlanta and then just drove to Clemson. So that way mm-hmm. I didn't have to have a long drive the day that my, my flight came back. So it just depends. I, I was working a little tighter budget last time, so Greensboro wasn't uh, wasn't really an option. <laughs> so I was paying with somebody else's credit card last time. I was working <laughs> somebody else, so I don't mind splurging a little bit if it means uh, a little quicker trip. But I mean, Atlanta to, to Clemson is not. I mean, it's like an hour, hour and a half at the most, so it's not that bad. It's not that bad at all. Like we, I couldn't get into Tallahassee when Clemson when they played really Florida is. State. Go ahead. Clemson really is more. It, it, it can be really. It's an SEC school. Even yeah. though it's in the ACC, it's a very different than most of the ACC. Yeah, I mean yeah. academically, uh-huh. it's just, yeah, it's very different, very different. A bent ND has a question, Sean. How do you feel overall about the future of Notre Dame football today versus how you felt when Freeman got the job uh, and Kelly being gone? Uh, same. I'm optimistic about the future of Notre Dame yeah. football. There's some things that happened in year one that didn't go as you'd hoped. And there's things that were actually a little better than you hoped. And some things where coach Freeman showed growth a little bit faster than you thought. So about the same. I, and every I, new challenge is going to be provide us new evidence of whether he can or can't do this job. Right. Like, yeah. you know, coaches are leaving. Okay. Well, let's find out what coach Freeman can do to replace him and see if he's yeah. got the chops to do that. You know, you, you had some adversity this year. You lost a crap game to Stanford. I don't, I'm, I would never want that, but because it happened, we got a chance to learn a little something about Marcus Freeman as a football coach. Yeah. And, and yeah. so now we need to see, can he, can he get them to the point where they don't make those mistakes anymore? We'll find out, but we know when those things happen, we're going to know that this team can overcome those things and, yeah. you know, go out there and play football. So I would, I would pretty much say that I feel a little different towards the end of the Kelly era. I, I, I started to feel like, okay, like things are kind of declining. You know, even though they went to the college football playoff in 20, he just had the vibe like, all right, things are declining, you know, and I don't know if he's capable for a lot of different reasons. Like, I, you know, you, you got the feeling like, man, does he want to be here at this point? You know, things he's been fighting for. It was just a lot. It, it, you just felt like it was a relationship that needed to end. You know, so that was kind of the vibe, you know, even though I felt like Notre Dame was, yeah. If you want to call Notre Dame a tier two program behind Alabama and Georgia. It was a loveless marriage on both sides. Yeah, yeah. 
And yeah, that's really so, what it had boiled down to. And that was so it was kind of like resignation, I guess, as a fan of where the program was. And now it's kind of like excitement about what the program can be. Sean, we do recruiting, right? Yeah. And the one thing we do at Irish Breakdown, we talk a lot about floor versus ceiling. Yeah. You and Ryan were talking about that earlier with Aiden Hutchinson and, and Isaiah Foskey, right? Yeah, yeah. Brian Kelly's the low, the, the high floor, low ceiling coach. You know you're going to be here, mm-hmm. but you also know you're not going to get here. Right. Marcus Freeman's right. the opposite. He's the low floor, not quite sure what he's going to be, right. but the high, high ceiling. ceiling. If yeah. it hits and it works, it's going to you can get to this level here. Yeah. And I think that's where I'm at. That's how I view it. Now, is do I know for a fact he's going to reach a ceiling? I, no, I don't. At Notre no. Dame, I don't. I don't. I, I, as an analyst, as a fan, yeah, I'm, I'm confident he's going to win. He's going to win. He's going to win. Right. As an analyst, I don't know. There's a lot we got to learn. Sean is a fan. I know you're like, hey, he's going to win here. As, as a, yeah. But then when we sit down and we talk, okay, let's put our fan hats, take our fan hats off. Right. So, yeah. You take my fan hat off, put my <laughs> analyst hat on. Okay. Well, I don't know if he's going to get there yet. Yeah. Because I need him to, I need him to prove me to this to me and that to me, and we we just don't have enough evidence of that yet, right? Yeah, and and so that's kind of where I'm at, Sean. Is is, yeah. but I do know this as an analyst, there are things I see in him that I see in the winners, the champions. Yeah, can yeah. he put it all together here? We'll find out. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm optimistic because I see a lot of things that have that high ceiling type of potential for him. We just got to see him get there or not. And the other thing too is I think he genuinely has a great appreciation for Notre Dame that the previous coach just did and previous coaches didn't have. I don't think Bob Davey had a great appreciation for Notre Dame. Uh, I think Ty did. Ty didn't just, just Ty didn't just didn't just wasn't good enough. Just didn't work hard enough. I don't think, I don't think Davey appreciated Notre Dame. I don't think Kelly appreciated Notre Dame. Charlie did. He just wasn't good enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. With Coach Freeman, he he gets it, and I think that gives him a leg up. Now we just got to see whether or not, you know. He and that, and that, that's what makes it strange, right? Like the coaches, if I knew that I had a coach that didn't get it, <clears throat> I would be hesitant to give him everything, if you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But if I had a coach that got it and represented Notre Dame the way it needs to be represented and treated it the way it needs to be treated, yeah. I'm now I'm like more willing to be all in. Like, you know what? Let's give this guy what <laughs> whatever he needs. Sean, you remember earlier we asked a question about what would give him a longer leash. And I was like, to yeah. me, that right there, what you just said, that's yeah. where a longer leash would come from. Yeah, he's putting in the work. He yes. gets what makes this place special. Yeah, let's support him with all the resources he needs and give him a little bit more time than maybe we would give someone who didn't get it. Yeah, because he's going to represent what you're about, and and that's the thing is like, you know, we listen to these press conferences after practice and they're kind of annoying because yeah. you hear a bunch of kids running around and yelling in the background. Yeah, I'm like what the freaking egg? What? But then you find out oh, it's it's Coach Freeman's kids and other coaches' kids, and you're like, well, why are they there? And then you hear him explain why. Because I want these young men to see me as a dad yeah. and see me as a father and as a husband. Yeah. Why? Because he wants them to understand the importance of being a father. Yeah. Right. So he gets that whole, it's not just about football thing. No. 
And and so I, I can't share the story, but there was something that happened on campus on Monday and how he handled it with someone that's not part of the football team just shows you like, this is a good man. Dude. Will he win a championship? I don't know. Oh, so but basically that, what you're those kind of me. things, I'm going to give him a little bit of a, Hey, you tell me what you need. I'm going to support you because I believe in what you're trying to accomplish here. And I'm going to make sure you have the resources. And that's where I think Notre Dame is failing Marcus Freeman right now yes. is in that regard. Yes. And, and I'm going to have something to say about that here very soon in an article and, 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 and in a podcast. But, but yeah. because of that, Sean, you're saying like, this is why I think, he, I think he's a smart football guy. It's not just because he's a good man. There's a lot of Ty Willingham is a good man. He yeah. just was lazy and not a really dynamic football coach. Yeah. It's a good human being. His players went to class. They didn't get in trouble. They had good grades and all that, but it's, so it's gotta be both. You gotta do both. It can't just be, well, Hey, you know, I develop good young people. Okay. That's only part of your job. Just like, I'm also not going to give you a pass for being a jerk, you know, for not producing good kids. Cause you win, you got to do yeah. both at a place like Notre Dame. You yeah. should do it everywhere, but especially at Notre yeah. Dame, you got to do both. So and, basically yeah. you're telling me, you just made my heart jump, bro. Cause now you're telling me that I have a head coach that walks out of the football building and sees going something going on with a regular student. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. I'm just giving a situation. I'm not saying that's what took place, but that's the type of head coach you want, right? Yeah. That's like, I'm, oh, he doesn't walk past the situation. Like, man, those not my players. I it doesn't have anything to do with me. No. Like, wait a minute. Hold on. What's going on here? Yeah. Like this. Oh, let's. Well, it's like I get a I get a text message from a parent of a Notre Dame player, and he's about to have surgery. And he talks about how Coach Freeman came in there, sat down with them, was with the family, and I mean it was a minor surgery. And they're like, "That's never expect like that just didn't happen before, you know, just <laughs> didn't happen before, you know." And and um, I, that's, I, that let me know for you to say that without me even knowing what happened. It's like, yo, this is this is what I'm saying, and maybe over time. That wins the day. Maybe, maybe the maybe the messenger being different, asking for the same things eventually over time, is is received differently. Yeah. Yeah. You know, here's an interesting question from John A. One, uh, Sean. If the linebackers play to their potential in 2023, based on talent, where would you rank in your opinion with the linebacker groups around college football? Top 25 or top 10? I personally would say closer to top 10. I don't think they have the talent to be like a top five linebacking core. No. Uh, but but top 10 to 15 for sure Yeah, in, in level of play. And right now they're not even top 30 right now with the way they played last year. But like top 10 to 12, you know, 8 to 12 would probably be the range, I would think. I'd have to study other, other teams more, Sean, but just kind of what I know of college football, I'd say – Eight to twelve, eight to eight to fifteen is kind of the range I, I think that they're capable of being with the older players. Now with the, older the younger players, yeah. players yeah. they eventually have the talent to be a top five group. Yeah. Like when when the when the depth charts dominated by the Jalen Sneeds and the Nolan Zieglers and the Drake Bowens and the Jaden mm -hmm. Osberries and the guys yeah. like that, then eventually they can get to that level. So like right. when I say you guys are not giving enough respect to JD Bertrand and Jack Kaiser can do some good things, it's to the level of they can be a top. 12 10 to 15 group yeah but they don't have the talent to be a top five group like no. they don't have the talent to be like what the group that that georgia had a couple years ago with with nicobe dean and channing tindall and that group of guys they don't have that type of potential with the veterans the younger kids do 
Yeah. But I don't expect them to be that in 23, just like the N'Kobe Dean, Channing, Den, uh, Channing Tindall, Quay Walker group weren't that when they were freshmen and sophomores. Mm-hmm. They showed potential, but it mm-hmm. wasn't until they were more veteran players that they became that type of elite group. So right now for 2023, top 10 to 10 to 12, 10 to 15 is where I'd be at with that group, Sean. It's, it's funny you say that because I agree totally with everything you said. And for me, I think some of the things that we're going to be looking for from this group moving forward is something that is pretty much standard in certain programs. We talked about this. It might have been early this morning. We're talking about certain programs. Like you look at Wisconsin and like just for some reason they produce really sound fundamental linebackers that are productive. You look at Iowa. They always end up with linebackers that are productive linebackers. Like it's just programs that are able to produce linebackers that are productive and sound. Penn State always ends up producing really good linebackers. And I think Notre Dame has been a program that has had some really good, like you had Manti, you had Jalen, you had uh, Jeremiah Wusukor-Moore. And then you had, you know, for me, what was that? The Coney Drew Tranquil combination, eighteen, yeah, was fantastic. Well, the seventeen group of of Tranquil at Rover, yes, and you had Coney uh, Greer and Niles and as now, your three inside. That was a pretty good linebacker. That might have been the best. That might have been the best two years of just overall linebacker play. Yeah, top to bottom. At, yeah. Top to bottom in Notre Dame. Yeah, so I, I would love for Notre Dame to like get to that area, and I think the young group has an opportunity to establish. Yeah. That. And in, in this group, it's it's kind of like Sean. This group is sort of the the uh, you've got good players, but nothing special. Mm-hmm. And other years, you had great players, and then not very good players around them. Yeah, right? Not yeah. champ, not not big time players around them. It and the younger guys have the chance to be the combination of both, and mm-hmm. that's where you want them to be. Where yeah. where they've got big time players and and talent, and they just need to be developed properly. In my yeah. view, that's the that's going to be the key. Yeah. We have one here from Siggy13. Is the is the Marcus Freeman experience at Notre Dame in year one the most tumultuous beginning for a first-time head coach at a major college football program you can remember outside of major scandals? Um, I, I I guess I just don't view it as overly tumultuous. I mean, they had a couple upsets, and I mean Nick Saban had a pretty first rough first year at Alabama. They went seven and six, lost to Louisiana Monroe. Yeah. I mean, look. I mean, what's been tumultuous about it, right? Like it's again, they lost. They had a, a an offensive coordinator left for to go to one of the preeminent programs. And I don't like it. That doesn't make it tumultuous. The you know what, Sean? The whole OC buyout thing has just completely put a black <laughs> cloud over this thing. That's what it comes down yes. to. Yes. That's what it comes down to. Yes. Well, Notre Dame had to settle for their third guy. Well, so did Alabama. I mean, you know what I mean, like. But Alabama did it. We went this guy, went this guy, didn't get him, so let's go get him. And it yeah. just it did bang, 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 deal over with. Notre Dame has to turn everything into like some soap opera, you know, and, and yeah. it's created a, a perception that this has been a tumultuous. And look, right now these coaches are just interviewing. That, that's it. This happens all the time. It's just now everybody's looking to get this stuff out there and it's scoop and you can't keep anything quiet anymore. This is not an abnormal thing for me. You know, I mean, look, Alabama had to – 
replace both of their coordinators and, and other coaches on their staff. It's part of the deal, you know. And when you have good coaches, you're you're going to lose some of them. So yeah. it hasn't been a pleasant offseason. I'm not saying it's been a, a uh, oh, wow, this has been a phenomenal offseason. But it ha- I, don't, I wouldn't say it's been tumultuous. And and he's talking – then you look at the first year, you know, the, the bad loss to Marshall and Stanford. That was rough, you know. But, like, you know, go, go look at Dabo's first year at Clemson. A losing record. Almost got fired. Go look at Saban's first year at Alabama, you know, like, and again, I know that the situations were, that they inherited were different, but the reality is, you know, like, like, I mean, I'll put it like this Who has had a more tumultuous first year, Marcus Freeman or Brian Kelly? Yeah. Brian Ooh. Kelly. Yeah. I mean, when you look at the stuff going on at that, that point, happened off the field. Yeah. And you had four losses. You had some blah losses. Yeah. They had a big win over Bama. Okay, cool. Notre Dame beat Clemson more convincingly than Alabama beat or than LSU beat Alabama. Notre Dame didn't have a 27-point loss to Tennessee. They didn't have an, a, a, a loss where they let fail, trailed beginning to end against the Florida State. They didn't have the mm-hmm. – the, I mean, they lost to Stanford, Marshall. Okay, well, they, LSU lost to Texas A&M. And, and so, yeah, they, they neither of them had great on-field – they had good on-field seasons, but not great. And then you look yeah. at Notre Dame's big drama this offseason is they've had some coaches leave. Yeah. LSU's has been – the stuff, you know, guys getting arrested and, mm-hmm. you know, coaches doing the craziness with players and staffers that was going on. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't trade there. But the point is that stuff happens. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not banging on Brian Kelly for this one. That's probably an inappropriate yeah. use of, of a phrase there when referring to LSU. <laughs> I'm not criticizing Brian Kelly for that. That's part of what you need to do to overhaul a culture. You're going to have those things that are going to pop up from time to time. Right. <laughs> so it's it just that's that stuff happens you know what i mean and that's yeah. part of it it's part of it you know part of the deal i actually so. think it was um i actually think his first year was necessary for what he wants to do i'm gonna take a totally different look at it i tumultuous no i think yeah. it was the fire needed to bring him to the place that he needed to be to elevate the program as the head coach. Mm-hmm. He didn't need to come in and everything went hunky-dory. He needed the things that happened. Because I think everything that has happened has been enlightening. I think yeah. he's learned about he's learned about himself. He's learned about his staff. He's learned about his football team during the season, after the season. And I think he's learned about the things around him in his first year. So I think it's been very educational. Marcus Freeman's first year on the job. Mm-hmm. Like now there, there, I don't think there's anything that he is unaware of now. Like, you know what? Let's roll. Mm-hmm. Like I now I understand everything that's going on. Cause it's a lot to be the head coach of Notre Dame. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot, you know, and, He's gone through the fire, yeah. You know, to be proven. Yeah, I think you're going to start to see a proven head coach at Notre Dame. I'm not saying he hasn't been through a lot. I want to make sure I'm clear on that. This isn't like a Ooh. normal year. I'm just saying, like, I don't think it's been uh, tumultuous to the point where I'm like, I don't know if a coach has ever had to go through yeah. this. You know, like yeah. hey, a lot of coaches go yeah. through this. It's about how you come yeah. out of it that defines you, yeah. right? I mean, Lou Holtz didn't have the greatest first year at Notre Dame. You know what I mean? It's part of the deal. Right. Brian Kelly's first year at Notre Dame wasn't Brian Kelly's first two years at Notre Dame weren't very fun. Yeah. You know, on and off the field. Right. 
I mean, you know, talk about some 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 tumultuousness. Let, let's talk about some of the things that happened during Brian Kelly's first five years in Notre Dame. Man. So we're talking about coaches leaving, right? Like we're talking about co- – and that's where I think Frank had the great perspective because Frank's not a Notre Dame fan. He listens to our show and watches our yeah. show. He's an LSU fan. He's an SEC mm-hmm. guy. He's like, hey, some perspective, fellas. You know what I'm saying? Like this is part – this is more part of the deal in my opinion. Uh, Coach Koch has a couple things. He says uh, a couple parters. When the whole OC buyout fiasco is happening, you mentioned facilities and state of the football team's equipment. I always imagine top-tier equipment, especially the gym gear and clean-up-to-date facilities. What is the state of the Goog and other places the team uses? The indoor facility is pretty good, but the um, the Goog is very old and outdated, and they don't always, from what I'm told, and I've been told this for several years, they don't always keep it completely up-to-date. And like, you know, hey, everything's fixed and everything's working up to par. It could definitely be better. And I believe they're in the process of trying to upgrade it. It's just the way Notre Dame works. And I don't have a problem with this. This is fine. They don't pay for it. They don't they don't start building anything until they've fought till they've gotten the financing for it. So they've raised the money for it. So like when they started building the Crossroads project, it began after they had raised all the money needed to pay for it. And the same thing in the indoor facility. And honestly, Sean, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think more institutions should act that way. I think we as Americans should, Hey, if you don't have the money to afford a TV, don't, don't buy, buy a TV. My wife and I had that discussion when we were getting married. She's like, uh, we're going to go get a new TV. And she was like, uh, you know, we can go get a Best Buy card, put on the Best Buy card, pay it off. And I'm like, I was like, baby, if we don't have the money to pay for a TV right now, we shouldn't pay for a TV. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, cause then a thousand dollar TV all of a sudden over the course of a year becomes a $1,500 TV. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, uh, you don't have the money for it don't buy it you know so uh, that's why that's why i drive a janky car because <laughs> i don't have the money to to pay for a car as expensive they are right now uh so yes there definitely needs to be upgrades for sure um and here's one from coach Koch. he says if, if everyone in the co- in the combine if in the combine talking about notre dame i assume performs as well as you think they can how does their draft stock look best guess for best guess for where they all may go i'm not going to take a shot at that last one just because that's I'm not a draft guy. Like I would be speaking to you as a fan. Uh, that's more up Ryan's alley. I, I think the if how does their draft stock look? I think I think the guys that can help themselves the most in the draft stock are guys that were the, the athleticism matters a little bit more. I think Isaiah Foskey helped himself. I think Michael Mayer can solidify himself in a certain tier if he can test well. And I think Brandon Joseph can recover his draft stock if he has a good combine performance. So I think all of those three guys more than anything. I, I just don't think like a, a combine is something where an offensive lineman is going to see his draft stock will go way up. If anything, I think I think offensive linemen can tend to see their draft stock go down from a combine more than it can go up. I just don't know if there's anything from a combine that makes you say, hey, that guy's really, really good. You know, I think if anything, it's like you start focusing on, you know, uh, boy, that guy, that guy, that guy's not that good because of you look what happened in the combine. And, you know, I think a perfect example, Sean is, is and Ryan and I talked about this recently is Orlando Brown jr. He fought, he fell to the third round because he had a, one of the worst combines I've ever seen. That guy's a pro bowl offensive lineman now, you know what I mean? But because you went away from the tape and you focus on, on the, now some position, some positions, I actually put more emphasis on the combine than I do others. I, I honestly do not care about the combine for an offensive line. I literally have never, looked at the combine and be like, gee, I care what so-and-so does at the combine. I don't care. Don't care. 
other positions that means a whole lot more to me. I, it's funny you mention that. I think I've heard one scout over my years say the only thing he listens to or he goes to the combine for with offensive linemen is to hear how they hit the pads. He's like, I'm, I'm he said, I'm paying attention. Yeah. I'm looking for a sound. Yeah. When they go through the drills and they have to punch, he said, I'm looking for a sound because you know that sound when someone can deliver a blow with their hands. Yeah. They have a really good punch, which I thought was weird. I'm like, wow. All right. Never thought about that. But it goes back to what you said. The tape for the vast majority, that the tape is what, 80, 85% of a scout's yeah. job. And the other 15 is not the combine. The other 15 oh. is a lot of going to games and watching yeah. games and doing the background check. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now there are some positions where I'm willing to take a chance on a, on a combine hero to a degree because I'm like, well, I can coach that. I can coach that stuff. If he has mm -hmm. the physical tools, I can coach that. Others, I just don't care. I, I really don't. Ronnie St Stanley had a terrible combine. It's kind of funny, actually. Both of the the Browns, um, actually, no, he wasn't. I'm sorry. He, yeah, well, Orlando, he left. He left Baltimore to go to to, to Kansas City. But Orlando Brown and and were and, and Ronnie Stanley were pretty darn good tackle tandem for a couple of years, yeah. and they were both terrible at the combine. Terrible at the combine. Just, you know, terrible at the combine. But the Ravens have a very good front office. Yeah, that probably depend more on the tape. I'll give you a perfect example, because um, you talked about. Take receivers. If a receiver runs 4-2, 4-3, Kansas City would love them. If mm -hmm. their tape doesn't match up with the speed, Kansas City would say, well, we don't need the tape. In our system, all we need you to do is this. All we need you to do is be a McCole Hartman. McCole Hartman didn't produce, didn't have heavy production at Georgia, but he served the purpose for the Chiefs, like be our speed guy. Mm -hmm. These are your routes, right? And he got hurt. Who did they insert? The rookie they drafted, Sky Moore. Okay, he's hurt. We need you to come do this, do that. So when you have great organizations with great systems, great coaching, you know, they can go get guys based upon measurables that they feel like they can use in a certain way, you know, and if those players can go to other programs and you expect them to be, a number one wide receiver that's a great route runner, you know. And just because they run four, two, four, three, man, you're overlooking the tape. That's my biggest thing with Jalen right. Hyatt, Jalen Hyatt this year. Like people going up into the first round to get him. Like, what are you expecting? Like, where is he going? You do understand he, he ran post routes and fly routes all year. Right. Like he wasn't asked. Tillman is the more polished receiver from Tennessee. Right. Like, if you're and then with him, him in, it's the injury. It's the injury stuff. How does right. that? How does that go? How does right? that play into it? Right. But if you get up to the NFL and he can stay injury free, he's probably going to be the more productive right. wide receiver. And that's what Jaylen you saw. Hyatt like, goes to. On, right. No, I'm just saying. Unless Jalen Hyatt goes to the Eagles per se, right? Where you have Devontae, you have AJ. He's got to be more of a niche guy. And right. He could be a niche guy but, with like, his speed. Yeah. And this was this was my thing with Jalen Rieger, right? Like I, I never understood the the love that people had for Jalen Rieger. And 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 I just you look at it and say, okay, he did well at the combine, but he didn't exactly blow it up. And I just I just never understood where this infatuation came with him as a player. Yeah. And it's like at some point in time, you'd expect him to be a little bit more of a dominant player. 
right? I just I just kept always waiting for that. And and he had that one good year, but you know, like the tape was he played in an offense where he ran like four routes. You know, he just played in a good offense. And so uh yeah, you you gotta take that stuff into account. And not enough people put that stuff. Now here's the thing for me is like, does the guy have the physical tools to become a good route runner or not? That's something that as a coach you gotta look at. But in the NFL, not a lot of teams want to teach that stuff. You either mm-hmm. have it or you don't, right? Yeah. And you know, I, I think there's a lot more like like a Will Fuller can be a dominant college player and not a dominant NFL player. And even if you take the injuries aside, Will Fuller is not would not have been a elite wide receiver in the NFL size, and he just wasn't a really sharp route runner and contested route runner. Now, he, he could have been good, well, but he like was- he's not. Cooper Cup, he's not yeah. uh, Devonte Adams, he's not mm-hmm. that guy. He'd have been more productive, right? Don't, and he might even been a thousand yard receiver, but <coughs> he, he'd be more Alvin Harper than Michael Irvin mm-hmm. is the point yeah. as a thousand yard receiver. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. Now, th- now doesn't mean he couldn't have been good, but you got to think about that. So you draft him at 21, you just don't draft yeah. him at five, yeah. like they did John Ross. You you watch the film of John Ross. John Ross just ran by people in college. We have learned over the last 40 mm-hmm. years of the NFL, you can't just take a guy because he's fast. Otherwise, James Jett would have been a Hall of Famer. A Hall of Famer. Right? I mean, and and you, just, you have to be able to play. And John Ross wasn't a very good receiver. No. He just was really fast. Yeah. And he played in a league that couldn't defend anybody. You know, and so I think those are the things where you, that's why you see these and you see it over and over and over again, Sean, because it's easy for me and you to sit here and say, oh, you don't do this. You don't do that. And then you pop on the film, you know, you go to the combine. You're like, I know that I said that, but God, that's four two two, man. What I wouldn't do with a four two two. And I'm like, yeah. OK, cool. That four two two had five catches for 28 yards against Alabama. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. that's what that four two two got you. Yeah. Right yeah. when you had when he was going against other cats, could run. Yeah, four two two got you nothing. Couldn't get off the line. Couldn't get open. But he ran a four two two. Yeah, but he couldn't do anything against Alabama. Right, yeah. and that's those things I look at and say, man, you know, you got to you got to look at that stuff. Take that in consideration. Yeah. In, in my view, in my yeah. view. But I will say this: Will, man, he was blessed to go to the right spot because mm-hmm. DeAndre Hopkins was the dude. Yeah. They had they had their guy to run routes, go over the middle, do all. They had that dude. True. Will you just come in and be our right. big play guy? Right. And and he early on he had success being able to do that. You know, yeah. so it's it's very much you know like you said there are some positions you can take a chance. Sure, was the, the uh, was it the Cansey kid, the defensive tackle that ran like a four seven yesterday? He was already a top twenty, right? Top thirty prospect. So it wasn't like he was jumping from like being unknown to all oh, who is this kid, you know, but still, you know, he runs. OK, he ran a four, seven, four forty, but he's in the trenches. Like how many times is he going to have a clear path to, to, to right. run a quarterback down? Like how is he with his hands, his leverage, his get off the ball? Right. Like what is it? You have to. Yeah, the film is. Always, and there are anomalies, and then there's sometimes where guys can be like the guy that I still have a hard time with is DK Metcalf. And everybody talks about how I didn't think he was going to be that good in the NFL. He's been better than I thought he was going to be. He's had two thousand yard receiving years, which I don't care as much about in the NFL. But I'm just like a guy that big and that fast. Don't you think he should be a little bit more dynamic than he is? Right? Like that's like, but you know, it's because of some of those limitations, right? I mean. 
I don't know. When you're that like big and that fast, it's hard to – you can't be as precise in your routes, man. It's hard to slow that down. And It's <laughs> not that. Megatron, I mean, I, I Megatron, yeah. Megatron was somebody we saw do it. Like, you tell right. me how many big, fast wide receivers – I'm not talking about that, though. Okay. You still have to be able to get out of a post route, right? You still got to be able to sink your hips on a on a comeback, right, is my point. Is I guess – what I'm saying is like, you know, I expect if, if he's going to be as good as people say, I expect him to be Mike Evans. Right. I mean, because he's he's that's what I expect. Right. Like he said, two years, he didn't have a thousand yards receiving one year is barely over. He's a good player mm-hmm. from what all I can tell. What I'm saying is like when you're that big and you're that fast, I expect you to be a lot more dominant than he has been in my view. But again, that's someone who doesn't watch him a ton. Right. That's just, you know what I mean? But like but that's a different one. It's like at some point in time, he doesn't have to be a great route runner to still produce because he's so big and fast. But so that's kind of where I, where I, where I kind of get into that. You've got to find that balance of, okay, he's big and he's fast. How far does he drop? Right. So like, he's not a guy that should have gone in the top 15 or top 20 NFL draft, but maybe he fell too far down to 64 because you, you picked apart too much, his tight hips and things like that. Right. So I'm like, there's some of those guys are in that weird, spot sean where there's some things you look at and say well i really don't like how tight his hips are i really don't like this i really don't like this and then you look at and say yeah but this other stuff he has man you just can't teach you can't teach 6'4 235 running a 4'4 jumping 40 some in you know what i mean it's like okay so then where is is it top 15 is it top 40 is it top 60 and those things can can um can be there so like I don't think he's necessarily played like a guy that should have been a first round pick. He's been good, but he hasn't yeah. been like dominant. I don't even think he's their best receiver. I think Tyler Lockett is still their best receiver. He's kind you know? of like the NFL version of of DeAndre Ayton. That's a, yeah, that's fair. Like DeAndre Ayton's stats, you look at his stats and you're like, hey, he he puts up pretty good stats. But you watch him play, and you're like, okay. He, to be that big and that agile and that fast, he should really be dominating a lot right. more than he is. But you can't sit up there and tell me, okay, I see why they took you number one overall. Like, yeah, yeah, your your stats say it. You're a pretty good player, right? But, but to your I point, Sean, a guy that's seven foot, two hundred fifty pounds, athletic, should be a guy that's in year five, better than eighteen and ten. I'm sorry, eighteen right? and ten is is nothing to sneeze at. It's right, but again, <laughs> we're talking about. It's like with anything else. Part of the reason I feel like Dak Prescott has always gotten a little bit of a pass from yeah. some people is because he was a fourth round draft pick. Yeah. yeah. If Dak Prescott was a top ten NFL draft pick, oh, or, he would be catching it. He, he wouldn't still. He wouldn't be the Cowboys anymore. No. In my opinion, no. they would they they wouldn't have paid him that kind of money. No. And so those are the things you look at and say, hey, you know, look, they're, they're, they're that's where you that's where you go. And somebody brought up Chase Claypool, and this is where I'll give D, DJ Metcalf a little bit of a of a of a, a positive is he at least seems to put in the work to get the most out of his ability. Whereas I don't think Chase Claypool has done that. I don't think Chase Claypool gets the most. Out. I think Chase Claypool has a more, is a more gifted wide receiver than DJ, DJ Metcalf in theory, but he hasn't produced like it. Cause I don't think Chase is, has shown the, um, how do I say this necessarily the maturity needed to be great. And hopefully that changes. I'll give you a story. So local media asked Chase Claypool, uh, man, you know, Justin, are you looking forward to spending time with Justin Fields over the summer with the rest of the receivers down in Florida? 
and Chase Clu Chase, Chase Claypool's response to the reporter was, uh, "I'll be in California." And you know, you know, the Chicago media had a field day. Oh yeah, understandably. Like, like what do you mean? I'll be working out in California. What? Like, okay, all right, okay, okay, buddy. Maybe you don't understand that this is Chicago. Like this, this is not South Bend. This is Chicago. Mm -hmm. They gave up a second round pick, which would have been a first round pick due to the fact that the Dolphins lost their pick. So basically you would have been the 31st pick in this year's draft. Mm -hmm. They gave that up to go get you. You're talking about you don't want to put in the work in the offseason? Yeah. Okay. And that's been his issue. I mean, he, he's got he's got talent to be a star, in my opinion. A star. I just don't know if he has the work ethic to be a star. And that's and, and the thing that frustrates me is he should have he's ha- he should have had enough failures by now that it, it kicked in. Man. But apparently he has he it hasn't it hasn't kicked in a little bit yet.